0: Or second letter to the Corinthians, chapter nine, beginning at verse one. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but you may, that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.
1: So, uh, tonight you'll be delighted, you might be slightly bemused, you might be fascinated, you may be uncomfortable, Uh, you may be open. Uh, To hear, uh, you can take any of the above, to hear that we're going to be talking about money. And not just tonight, but actually for the next three or four Sundays, we're going to be thinking a bit about money. I guess a lot of us here uh, are intensely private about our finances. It's one of uh, those areas of our lives that we happily compartmentalize, keep it in its own corner, and definitely keep it away from our relationship with God at times. Some of us here are happily ignorant about our financial situation. But for others of us, worrying about money takes up a huge amount of our waking hours. However you may feel about the subject of finances being spoken about in church, money is an essential feature of life. Whether we have a lot or a little, uh, whether you just about manage or are in serious debt or a flush for cash, whether you're a giver or a spender or a saver, God has something to say about money and has something to say to you. So tonight, we're going to be focusing on the subject particularly of generosity, as you've heard. Next week, we're going to be thinking about giving, and then we're going to go on to think a bit more about managing our money. And when I think about generosity, uh, I think about one of the first times that I came across the immense generosity of God. Uh, One of the things that my dad used to do when I was uh, young uh, was he used to run a charity uh, that ran camps in the summer and uh, they were often camps for people on the edge of life, people who were really struggling in some way. We had young people's camps and families camps and also camps uh, for young offenders. And all the people that ran these holidays uh, were Christians, but the people that came on the holidays often weren't Christians. And there was this particular camp one year, and it was the one for uh, lads that had been on probation, and some of them were like seriously big guys. I was only about 10 on this particular camp, so I think they probably were big anyway, but they definitely seemed big to me as a 10-year-old. And on the Saturday, uh, the chief cook on the camp went to the local town uh, to pick up this stewing steak uh, that they were gonna transform (laughs) into the Sunday lunch the next day. They picked up their stewing steak, went back to the camp, put it in the fridge. I can't even think what the fridge was because we didn't have electricity, but they must have had something uh, to keep it cool. On the Sunday morning, um, all the campers went off to do various activities and things like that. And the people in the kitchen got the food out, ready to prepare the meal uh, for these 40 or so people for when they arrive back from their activities. They pulled out the stewing steak, opened the bag, and thought... Ah, we've got a problem. They'd ordered from the butcher 15 pounds of stewing steak. When they opened it, there definitely wasn't 15 pounds of stewing steak there. There was probably sort of one to two pounds at a push. Now remember I was 10, and even though obviously that was only about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, there were they didn't have Sunday opening then in that part of Yorkshire. um, And so there was no means to get any more uh, meat to cook for the dinner that was happening two or so hours later. There was about a tenth of the food that they needed. And even though they thought, oh, we can pad it out with some veg, they were seriously worried about how on earth this small amount of food was going to feed all these people, let alone the fact that they were like big lads as well. So not knowing what to do, apart from sticking a few extra carrots, uh, the kitchen staff got together and they prayed. And they simply prayed that God would provide, that there would be enough food for everybody. And that's all they did, and then they got on and they prepared the dinner. That lunch, as they spooned out this stew for the 40 or so people that were in this marquee in a field in the middle of Yorkshire, the meat just kept on coming, and it kept on coming, and everybody there got this huge dish of lovely, very meaty stew. And nobody could quite believe it, especially the kitchen staff that had seen the very small amount of of stewing steak that had been there in the morning. They just thought it was incredible. Uh, There was not just enough, there was more than enough. It was a proper modern day feeding of the 5,000. And me as a child was there and thought, wow, this was amazing. These people prayed, God provided. It blew my mind. And so as we explore this evening, uh, what the Bible has to teach us about generosity, let's ask the Holy Spirit to just er expand our imaginations of what God can and will and does do. This is the area that I think God can really blow our minds. So let's just pray uh, to God now. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God as we've been singing about and praying about already. And so I pray that now you would speak to us as we explore this passage from your word. That you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, that you would give us a bigger vision of who you are and your involvement in our lives and in the world. Expand our imaginations of what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to grab a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, uh, we're at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, if you can have it open, I'll, you'll, there'll be some passages that come up on the screen, but if you'd like to have it in front of you, that might help. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, uh, Paul is writing to this early group of Christians in a place called Corinth, uh, and he's encouraging them to be generous, he's encouraging them to be generous. Now in Paul's first letter, they wrote, he literally wrote them a letter, in Paul's first letter that he wrote uh, to the church in Corinth, in around chapter sixteen, he's been encouraging them uh, to give a gift, a financial gift, to the church over in Jerusalem because the church over in Jerusalem has been struggling. It's uh, really hit on hard times. And not only are the people in that church being persecuted, but they're also struggling with real poverty. And so he's asked the church in Corinth previously to give a gift, to give them some financial help. And so here at the beginning of chapter 9, in verses one to five, we hear Paul reminding these Christians in this church in Corinth, that they've already agreed to give a gift to this church that's struggling in Jerusalem. And so he's saying, I want you to have this gift ready for when I come and visit you. And then he's spurring them on to be generous in their giving. Listen to this, verses one and two. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. Uh, He's talking about this gift that you're going to be preparing for the church in Jerusalem. For I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about you to the Macedonians who's been hanging out with them, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia uh, were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Paul isn't trying to persuade them to twist their arm to help out this other group of Christians in Jerusalem who are facing poverty and persecution. They've already agreed to give this gift. But he's reminding them to be generous in their giving, to be generous, to give back to God in generosity. And he's reminding them what their motivation for generosity should be. At the heart of what should be motivating their generous giving is God's generosity to them. What should be motivating them to generous giving is God's generosity to them. And grace is the word that Paul uses time and again, actually, through his writing to encapsulate the immensity and the mystery of God's generosity. Grace grace is the word that encapsulates God's generosity. And then he explains uh, that their response should be generosity back and also gratitude. And so these three things, grace, generosity, and gratitude are the key features of Paul's writing. And they have practical and spiritual implications uh, for us today uh, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we worship. And so we're going to explore these one by one uh, as we get to grips with this whole topic of generosity. So firstly, grace, grace. Grace is the reason that Paul is prompting the church in Corinth to be generous. Why? Because grace encapsulates the riches that God has poured on them through the person, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grace is all about God's generosity. It's about generosity beyond our imaginations. In the previous chapter, in chapter 8, verse 9, uh, Paul reminds them of the grace that they've received through Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9 says this, "'For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, "'that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor.'" so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He's saying, you know, in Jesus, we see the generosity of God. He had everything, but he became poor. He took on flesh and, became, and took on the nature of a servant. He made himself nothing so that we might know God. And Paul again summarizes the immensity of God's grace in Romans chapter five, incredible verses here. Um, You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. That's God's generosity. When we begin to get our heads around the immense generosity of God, the love of the God of the universe in sending his son, Jesus, to free us and save us uh, so that we can be reconciled, we we can be friends with God, we can have the fullness of life uh, now and for eternity that he offers us. When we, in our frail humanity, catch even a glimpse of God's grace, then our response is to start to trust him more. Our response is to want to worship him more. Our response is is to want to love him more. Our response is to start to be generous more. Our response is thanksgiving and gratitude. I asked uh, a couple of members of the church, Paul and um, Paul, Thomas and Lucy Maine, uh, this week, uh, to tell us a bit about uh, when they experienced God's generosity, what it looked like for them to experience God's generosity practically. And we're just going to watch a little film clip of what they said.: um, We were just back from honeymoon, and we knew we weren't getting paid for our summer work until the end of the summer. So we knew we had to make it to the end of August yeah. and um, we sort of budgeted and were working things out but we were also just praying that yeah things would be fine and we'd get there um, and it was only a couple months later so when we looked back we realized that to the penny we had exactly the amount of money that we needed for that time yeah um, Yeah. so it
0: was about 100 pounds and yeah it was for that month complete provision yeah that time. i think it's one of those times when mm. you can get really kind of worried and Money is one of those things that's difficult as well. You don't want to focus too much on it. You need to pay attention to it. And I think having just got married, it was sort of like, ah, there's all this stuff to sort out and, and getting life started is important and not having money makes that difficult. And and I think it was time when we had people pray with us and and just for God's provision and and our, our trust in him. And, you know, he, he didn't hand us all this money, but you know, helped us to work was, out yeah. just exactly what we needed to do to, to make what we had work and, and to trust him for that. And I think, yeah, it was a, a really good example to us of how he provides when maybe we're thinking that you know we might run into a problem.
1: Uh, that Thomas and Lucy there. This is just a really regular uh, thing in their life, that they sort of faced this, they just prayed about it, and God provided. You know, it wasn't some great story of massive poverty, and they prayed, and suddenly they got a house and a car and a yacht in the south of Spain. It's not one of those. They just asked God to be involved in their everyday life and finances. And, And did you notice, they weren't like irresponsible either. They weren't like uh, so, God, I'm just going to, like, pray about uh, this money, because we're a bit short of money this month, and, and then we're going to go out and, like, spend as much as we want all the time. No, they planned. You know, they said that they, they put a budget together, and they did their finances, and then they prayed. They just gave God their situation. It didn't look like they were going to have enough money uh, by the end of the month, and God provided They didn't get a cheque for 2,000 pounds or anything like that, Um, they just had enough. And they just had enough down to the pound in their bank account by the end of that time. They planned and they prayed and God provided. God is a generous God and he knows us and he loves us. So grace is what God has done in us and for us through Jesus Christ. But this is the bit that I think a lot of us forget. Grace is also what God does through us as Christians. So grace is what God has done in us and for us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the mercy that he shows us and the riches that we have uh, through that. But grace is also what God does through us as Christians. Grace is lived out, grace is lived out. So what does grace lived out look like? Grace lived out looks like the work of God in the hearts and lives of ordinary people like you and I, leading to generosity. In verse nine uh, of our passage tonight, Paul is quoting from Psalm 112. He says this, they scattered their seed, they gave to the poor, their righteousness will endure forever. Uh, The whole of Psalm 112 is like a celebration uh, of those who have loved the Lord and whose love for God just spills out to others in generosity. It's all about grace. And so Paul must have known that when he used uh, those verses from Psalm 112. The The whole of Psalm 112 is a celebration of grace lived out. And in the early church, there were numerous examples of grace lived out, God prompting uh, those Christians to be generous to the people around them, Uh, not to hold back, uh, not to think this is mine and you can just have the leftovers, but we see reckless generosity, grace lived out. And it's not just about money either. Grace lived out. Looks like you and I generously sharing of our time with others. And often our time is our most precious thing that we hold to so tightly. But grace lived out. Looks like sharing our time generously. It looks like you and I opening our home, wherever our home is and whatever it looks like, or perhaps our dinner table or our tea table or our mug of coffee, uh, and sharing it with others. It looks like you and I generously giving of our skills and our gifts, and we've been thinking already tonight about opportunities to do that here at church, using our skills and gifts that God has given us to help others, to help out the church in whatever way he calls us to. It looks like you and I uh, being generous with our finances to enable the work of God or to support some project or, or to transform society or lives in some way. It looks like you and I generously welcoming others into our families, into our friendship groups. It looks like you and I forgiving generously those family members who have hurt us. Forgiving generously our work colleagues who are doing our heads in at the moment. Forgiving generously those friends who are so irritating, you just can't stand being around them. It looks like you and I chatting uh, openly to the person that we meet at the bus stop or in the shop, uh, rather than just thinking, it's my time, pick up my metro, put my headphones in, there you go. But actually being generous in the way that we do community, even with people we don't know. This is what grace, generous grace, looks like. And in terms of our money as well, uh, generosity really starts to take hold, I think, when we realize that everything that we have doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. Tim Ross, who was here actually at P's and G's preaching uh, a few months ago, he said this If you think it's yours, not his, you won't give it away. Who does your stuff belong to? Does it belong to you? or does it belong to God? Somebody at the nine o'clock this morning was talking about how um, they, they think of their stuff. Uh, they, they said there's two options. You can either go through life with your clenched hands, or you can go through life with opened hands, saying, this is all yours, God. If you think it's yours, not his, you won't give it away. And if our attitude uh, to everything that we have is that it's God's anyway, then our generosity is just the overflow of our love and our surrender to Jesus Christ. Generosity, you see, pours from a soul in love with Jesus. Generosity pours from a soul in love with Jesus. And so the motivating factor for the Corinthian church uh, to be generous is their love for Jesus, but it's also their love for the church, that's the family of God. In verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul reminds them this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He's encouraging them to sow generously into the church, Uh, not just their own church in Corinth with people that are like them, but he's saying, give generously to these people that you've never met and you never will meet in Jerusalem, these people that are Christians but they're Jews and you're Gentiles, non-Jews, so people who really aren't like you enough. Actually, you've been pretty nasty uh, to each other in the past. Uh, people who think differently, who are different from you. But Paul says if you sow generously, you will also reap generously and that reaping will be for the kingdom of God. But it's not about giving so that you get something back either. We often think of giving as like being a formula where you give to get. You give to get something back, a bit like a transaction in a shop. It's not about that. And neither is it about instant gratification. Um, Sowing seed, as we know, doesn't result in an instant harvest. You don't suddenly, when you put your little crest seeds in your cotton wool, uh, see them sprout up, do you? You have to wait. You have to wait uh, for that harvest. It's about sowing generously, and sometimes for the long haul. You might never see the results of generous sowing. We're generous then because we know that God can take what we give and use it in his time through the power of his Holy Spirit so that others may come to know his grace that we've experienced ourselves. Love for God, love for the church. That's the motivating factors for generosity. Do we love God? Do we love his church? Are our souls flowing, overflowing with love for him? And Paul goes on to say in verses seven and eight this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If we view our our homes, our families, our gifts, our abilities, our friends, our time, our families, whatever our stuff is, our finances, as actually belonging to God uh, and not just us, we're just custodians of those things then we're freed to be generous. We're free to be generous with what we have, to give cheerfully and to give generously. So giving shouldn't be a, a sort of result of a persuasion, somebody twisting your arm or, or dragging your money out of your wallet or your purse. But it should be the overflow of our generous hearts full of love and faith in Jesus. Uh, Michael Green, who is uh, a famous uh, Christian writer and speaker, puts it like this. Try chipping ice off a glacier, and you'll find it to be a fruitless task. Allow the sun to warm that glacier and begin to melt it, and then the water will flow freely from it. But we also see in verse 8 that when we are generous sacrificially, God promises that he will supply our needs. He will never leave us high and dry. And I found this to be true time and again uh, through my life. We share what we have, we give generously, and somehow we just about have enough. Uh, And this was the principle of my family growing up. We didn't have very much at all, let me tell you. But we were always taught to share what we had. Uh, sometimes in ridiculous ways Uh, so I'd often come home from school and there would be just random people around our dinner table uh, because our table was an open table and anybody could be around it and sometimes I'd come home from university and there'd be random people that I didn't know living in my house that my mum had found that needed a home we had a house it was there to be shared If we had any money, uh, my mum would share it with others who needed it more than us. And somehow, quite miraculously, we always had enough. As many of you will have heard from Dave if you were here at P's and G's last week, in October, uh, a few of the staff went down uh, to a conference uh, uh, in Peterborough, and it was on the subject of generosity and stewardship in the church. And during that time away, we realized uh, that the debt Uh, that the church has of £155,000 that was left over uh, from what we call the P21 building project, which was the project when this whole building was completely transformed and we built all that bit and built all that bit and did lots of other fancy bits as well. Um, The the, the debt that was left over had become a huge burden uh, to us as a church. It was preventing us uh, sort of stepping out in new areas of ministry. And it was also a real burden on those who every three months had to make sure uh, that everything was balanced and we had to present all the accounts to the uh, bank every three months as part of the loan agreement. And it's incredible that actually uh, this church, you might not know this, gave $6.9 Uh, to transform this building uh, over that time, uh, 10, 12 years ago. But we felt that God was saying, right, this is the time. You need to put this £155,000 before the church and get rid of it by June 2018 uh, to free us up to do whatever God is calling us to do next. And uh, we came back from that conference thinking, oh, that's quite exciting. That is really quite scary. But this feels really right. But we thought we won't say anything to anybody yet. We'll just sit with it for a little while uh, and just see uh, what happens and what God does with it. And uh, within 48 hours, as Dave shared last week, um, having told nobody about this thing that we'd thought about, uh, we had an email uh, from someone out of the blue offering to give £75,000 to pay off uh, some of the Project 21 debt. They didn't even know how much it was. And we were bowled over. We were completely bowled over by God's incredible timing, first of all, uh, but also his generosity. And it gave us confidence that actually God was in this. And this is what God was calling us as a church to do. And so uh, Dave told the church about this last week. And since Dave put it before the church last week that we would then try and pay off the rest of the debt by June 2018, uh, another significant proportion of that debt has been paid off in the last week as well. Um, and so we're, we're like, whoa, this is amazing. God is a generous God. He knows what's going on and he knows what he's called us to do as well. And I think it's exciting because it challenges as a church to step out in generosity. We've got uh, what we call the Micah Gift Day coming up on March the 18th. And it's an opportunity for us to give then uh, to five amazing Christian projects around the UK that are doing incredible work transforming communities and lives of people. And then we'll be having a gift day later on in the year, uh, and we'll tell you about that nearer the time to clear what remaining P21 debt there is, and we'll let you know about the target nearer the time. But we're just excited about what God is calling us to do as a generous church. News of God's generosity you know, prompts me to generosity. I don't know about you, and I just think, I wanna be part of what God is doing here. I wanna be part of what God is doing here. And so our last G, you'll have noticed, is gratitude. Grace, generosity, and gratitude. Generosity evokes in us a response of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude of what God has done and what God will do. Paul tells the Corinthian church in verse 12 to 14 that their generosity will cause others to be thankful, to give gratitude, to give glory to God says this, This service that you perform is not supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, you know, people will notice the church's generosity. They will see the power of God at work amongst them. And the result is... People won't go, aren't they nice? Don't they do a lovely collection? But the result is that God will be glorified. I just want to look at soul food as an example of this. You might know soul food is the meal that we put on every Saturday night here in church, Uh, often for folk that are uh, feeling on the edge of life for whatever reason. They might be homeless, they might just be in a tough place uh, for some reason, or just need a good meal. And we do it. Because we know and have experienced the grace of God at work in our lives. We believe God to be a generous God, and we want to share that uh, with our community. Every week, uh, some of us put money in the collection as it comes around, or we do our text giving, or every month we might have money that goes out of our bank accounts. And that money, some of it, goes towards providing the food and everything for soul food. And then alongside that, people give of their time and their energy on a Saturday uh, to put uh, Soul Food on. And the building is opened up and people are fed and individuals are given respect and love and someone to listen to. And whether they know it or not, uh, the people that volunteer at Soul Food and the guests that come to Soul Food are experiencing the grace of God practically at work. And I think that on some level, everybody who comes into this building for soul food, whether they're involved or a, uh, in serving or as a guest, will respond in gratitude. Whether it's gratitude that they've eaten a hot meal. Whether it's gratitude that they've had the first conversation that they've had for the last couple of days. Whether it's gratitude that they got the chance to meet somebody that they have never would have spoken to before. Whether it's gratitude uh, that they were listened to, whether it's gratitude that they got the opportunity to serve cups of tea or dole out food or wash up, whether it's gratitude uh, that they had the privilege of spending time with different people, and for some, as they come to experience the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the worth he places on their lives, their gratitude will result in God being glorified as they recognize Jesus as Lord. I don't know about you, but the testimony of generosity, the generosity of God who is so generous to us, his people, causes my faith to expand. It causes my imagination of what God can and does and will do uh, to be stretched. Generosity is the overflow of the grace of God at work in us and through us gratitude to god is our response to that generosity grace generosity gratitude they're not optional extras in our christian lives but are the heart of it all